Hi, I'm your host, Brittany Spence, and this is In the Face of Illness. We are a podcast committed to cultivating a greater understanding of the many resources available for families facing childhood illness, because we believe this is a vital topic of conversation, not only for families in the throes of the fight, but for everyone. Ultimately, we are here to offer hope in the face of illness. Emily Weller is a registered nurse in the pediatric ICU at Lebonner. She was born and raised in Memphis and graduated nursing school from Stanford University. She has worked as an RN in the PICU for almost nine years and has held many different roles in her time there, including the role of charge nurse and unit council chair. She has a passion for acutely ill children as well as children with chronic illnesses and finds great reward in walking alongside families during some of their hardest days. Emily met her husband, Jake, an orthopedic surgeon at Campbell Clinic in the ICU at Le Bonner. Emily and Jake just had their first baby, a son named Bo. We are so glad to have Emily here with us today. Emily, why don't you tell us a little bit more about your role as a pediatric ICU nurse? Um, so I work in the ICU at Le Bonner. I um, My role as a nurse is primarily just to take care of the medical needs of the um, critically ill children in the ICU um, I also function as a charge nurse in the unit, so I help with um, logistics and bed flow um, throughout any given shift. Um, I'm a member of our unit council, which um, helps with things like um, morale for staff. Um, we also do volunteer work um, and things around the hospital. Um, the primary role as a nurse at the bedside is... Um, taking care of the sick children um, with their medical needs. Um, and then also incorporated with that is taking care of the families while they're there with their children. Yeah, so that kind of goes right into, you know, how do you find that supporting, just even from our own experience, obviously, you know, it's it's the, the role of a nurse in any form, but especially I think in an ICU form, is so much more than just taking care of the child or the patient that's in the ICU. It's so much also of just supporting the families and making sure that the families are aware of what's going on and if they have questions or concerns or or whatever else. So what do you find are some ways that you have to really show support to families dealing with the illness of a child? Um, So the majority of the Children that we have in the ICU um, are there for quite a bit of time. Some are there um, maybe just overnight or something, but most spend an extensive time um, in the unit. So we are able to build relationships with the families. Um, With that, we are at the bedside in and out of the patient's room for 12 hours a day. So um, we get to know the parents and the families. We also um, are then able to help them with questions they have about the um, just medical care of their child um, and then also questions about sort of things even with their children moving forward um, once they go home. Um, we're able to help support them. We have social workers on the unit, um, so we're able to help support them um, just with their non-medical things that they need also like um, maybe it's having a, a meal or getting a meal voucher. Um, maybe it's taking care of things at their house with their other children. Um, and then that's sort of when 
we've been able to collaborate with y'all, the Four Spence Fund, um, with things, but it is a lot more than just taking care of um, the medical needs of the child and sort of seeing a holistic view of the family and what they need when they're in the hospital. Yeah. And, you know, from my own experience, I mean, you know, the, the nurses really were the, the backbone and, you know, they were the ones that knew Forrest so well and, you know, knew what he liked and disliked. And especially when you spend an extended period of time, extended period of time, you often see the same nurses. You often get, you know, nurses for maybe a couple of days in a row or, you know, you often will get that weekend nurse again and again. And they really start to know your child, but they also really get to know you. And I feel like even nurses pick up on things that maybe you're missing, like you're not handling the stress as well, or you're sleeping more often than you did, or you're not turning on the lights as much as you did, or you're not opening the curtains as much as you did. And I feel like really they're able to see those things um, and, and hopefully be able to encourage you and help you with that as well. Um, and so I know that it's such a, a huge part of it. How long have you actually been a nurse in the PICU at Labonner Children's Hospital? I've been at Labonner for a little bit over eight years um, and I've worked in the ICU the whole time that I've been um, a nurse at Lamonter. Well, I wanted to touch on one thing. So as a pediatric ICU, typically you have one nurse to two patients. Mm-hmm. That's the ideal. Mm-hmm. Every once in a while, you'll obviously have to have maybe more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we had a, a time frame when Forrest was so critically ill that it actually was one-on-one Um and then obviously ECMO kind of is a whole nother ball game as well of having the ECMO nurse. But a typical would be one pediatric ICU nurse to two patients that are next door to each other. Is that? That's right. Yeah. Um, just with the acuity of the patients, we're um, typically only able to have two patients per nurse. And then part of the charge nurse is also even just checking in, maybe helping with um, rearranging the patient if they're, you know, possibly a little bit of a need more than one hand or helping do a procedure bedside or I know you said the logistics and stuff as well. Um, but you're also there to support that aspect as well. Is that correct? That is. Yeah. So I'm sort of a support for the nurses, um, and helping with their patient care and things like that. But then also being able to oversee, um, logistics or, um, when patients come in through the emergency department and need a bed in the ICU, um, sort of coordinating, being sure that there's a bed available or um, moving patients from the ICU to a regular med surge floor. Um, but the sort of day-to-day role is more just to be able to be a support person for the nurses and, and families and things like that. Um, sometimes the primary nurse will get busy doing sort of the medical task type things. So then I'm also able to go in and be sort of an additional support if families need that um, or talk to them, answer questions um, so that the primary nurse can focus on the, um, the task that they need to do for the child. Okay. So as you said, you graduated nursing school. What made you even want to be a pediatric ICU in a children's hospital? Um, I think just throughout my clinicals through nursing school, um, I knew I wanted to work with children and um, be at a pediatric hospital. 
Um, and then I really enjoyed my time in ICUs and then in emergency department. So I think just the acutely ill patient, um, for some, whatever reason was, um, something that I was more attracted to than, um, patients that are closer to being discharged or going home. Um, I think I really enjoy, um, the critical aspect of it, but then also, um, just being able to support families when they're in more of a time of crisis, I think, than, mm-hmm. um, than just the, I guess, general patient on regular floors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I've seen you in action uh, numerous times when I'm up there mentoring, not with my own children, because um, we were forced was before you had gotten to Labonner, but I know that you're incredible at your job and so good at your job and have a sweet spirit, um, but also a very take charge, get things done type of person. So I know how much the ICU is so lucky to have you at Labonner, um, and we're thankful for you as well. Tell me about some of the challenges of being a pediatric ICU nurse. Um, so I think probably the biggest challenge is just the emotional challenge of the job. Um, we take care of the absolute sickest, most critical patients or children in the tri-state area. Um, with that, we also do a handful of St. Jude surgeries, um, at Le Bonner and then specifically in our ICU. So, um, we also get that aspect of the oncology, um, I would say just the emotional um, strain that the job has um, is probably the hardest thing. And then it is very physically demanding. You're on your feet for 12 hours a day and, um, you know, doing things like turning patients or lifting patients and things like that. But I think the biggest challenge for me personally is just the emotional and um, seeing families and children in situations that no one should ever have to walk through. Mm-hmm. And how do you find personally that you, you know, for your own mental health, what are some ways that maybe you even find um, to be able to handle that? I think um, just with the other nurses that I work with, being able to talk about things um, and, you know, it's hard. People outside of a hospital, um, they don't see what you see. And so, you know, you have to find kind of the people that understand what your job is and what it is that you're talking about and being able to talk to them about that. Um, I also just enjoy things outside of work, um, for my own mental health, like exercise and spending time with friends. And, um, so I think really it's just finding people that understand, sort of what it is you see and being able to talk through those things. Mm-hmm. And I've always admired the relationship that I feel like the ICU nurses have mm-hmm. um, and staff, not just the nurses, respiratory therapist and um, the staff as well. You have always been just a um, great group of people who come from all walks of life and maybe have different backgrounds, different face, different beliefs, everything else, but your common goal is for the health and well-being of the children and patients that come into your care. And because of that, you know, you're drawn to people that that maybe you would have never met outside mm-hmm. of this role. And um, it's, it's, you're, you're kind of in battle together and it really shows on how much y'all depend on each other and lean on each other and talk to each other and, 
you know, are in each other's weddings and at each other's doors. It's, it's really a, a beautiful thing because like you said, the things that you see, I mean, we've talked about it in our own story of after spending two months in an ICU setting, you're forever changed because you can't unsee what you've seen. And it's some really, really, really hard things. And so I think, like you said, you've got to have those people who also see it and who also have experienced it to be able to walk that road with you. And, um, but then also have a break from it, walk away, take a break, take a breather. Um, and I know too, it's, it's not for everybody. You know, the ICU world, critical care world is definitely not for every nurse and that's okay too. Um, and so I think there's, there's got to be, you touched on just the relationships with your other nurses and staff. And part of that too, I love is that unit council. Tell me a little bit about that. What are some ways that y'all, you know, I think you said trying to encourage staff or, you know, do things outside of the hospital or within the hospital. Tell me a little bit about the unit council. Yeah, so we um, are just a group of nurses. Um, You're kind of nominated by your peers um, that then help plan things like we call them pick you clinics. So they're like outings outside of the hospital to get together either to like eat dinner. We've done things like go um, to high point climbing and do a rock climbing wall or um, sometimes we've gone to like Shelby farms and done the paddle boating and things like that, but just ways to spend time with each other outside of the stressful setting of being at work. Um, so we plan things like that. We also, um, do things for like staff morale. Um, like right now we're working on a secret Santa for Christmas time. So, um, different nurses signed up to do it. And then, um, you're assigned a nurse to buy a gift for, for the week of Christmas. Um, we help collaborate for like volunteer activities that we do. So, um, that's with different organizations around, um, like the Enchanted Forest that's at the Pink Palace. And then we've worked with Fort Spence Fund, obviously, um, to do things just to be able to volunteer and, um, kind of all come together, um, and support, you know, businesses or nonprofits that we have worked with at work, but being able to do that outside of, of the hospital, um, and then we're also sort of just a liaison, a group of people that's kind of a liaison between our management, um, and then, um, just the staff nursing role. So, um, if other nurses have issues or problems or things that they want to bring up, um, we'll kind of sit and talk about all those and then maybe, uh, come up with solutions to fix different problems. Um, and we'll sort of, uh, coordinate with, management on different things or management can come to us and say, Hey, we really want to integrate, you know, X, Y, and Z into day-to-day nursing. How can we do that? Um, so it's just a group of nurses that kind of act as like leaders on the unit, um, to just provide different outlets for, um, whether it's social functions or just logistics throughout the, um, day-to-day work. And, if a if someone is listening that's thinking about going into nursing or already in nursing school and, um, you know, they're obviously in this part right now of saying, you know, what field, what area do I really want to want to um, go into? What is something that you would say to a nurse that is thinking about critical care? You know, what are some things maybe that they should 
look into, think about, do, or even maybe ask themselves? What's something that you would say, um, you know, for someone that's really contemplating if critical care is the field for them? Yeah, so I think the biggest difference in like critical care and then maybe um, we call it like general floor nursing or then the clinic setting. Um, so I think the biggest is just the acuity and how sick the patients are that you take care of, um, which nobody, until you do it, you really don't know whether it's something that you can or can't do. You can be around it in nursing school. You can be in clinicals for a few hours a week. Um but it definitely is a different kind of job, just sort of going back to like the emotional aspect of it. Um, but I think things that they could do are definitely, um, you know, just seeing throughout their clinical experiences and rotations where it is that they um, feel like kind of they are able to be the most themselves um, in a work setting. Um, and so I think that with the acuity of the patients, like we talked about, there's, you know, we only have two patients, so you kind of know everything about them. I always tell families, like, while you're in the ICU, we're going to be all up in your business. We're in the room. Um, you not know, a lot of least, privacy. No privacy. Yeah, not a lot of privacy. Um, we're in the room pretty much every hour, if not more than that. Um, 24 and, hours a day. Yes, 24 yeah. hours a day. So um, really kind of you know, stepping into that. Um, there's also, as a parent, there's a lot of comfort to that as well. You know, having a, a child that was in the ICU, but then also having a child that was on the general floor, uh, it was a real struggle for me to go to the general floor. I, I just kept being like, well, well, where's the nurse? Why, why is the nurse not right here? Well, that nurse had six, eight patients. I don't know how many that nurse had, um, you know, because our daughter had RSV, but she wasn't the sickest of the sick. She didn't need to be in a critical care. She wasn't, you know, on a ventilator. She just had some oxygen. But being used to that, we had had the PICU experience. Then we'd had the NICU experience. And this was our first general floor experience. That was kind of a hard thing to go because there's definitely a comfort to knowing that somebody is monitoring and kind of always has their eyes on the patient. Um, obviously you never want your child to be that sick that they need that, but there's some real comfort to that as well. And knowing how well the, the ICU nurses know that, know your child, Mm -hmm. because like you said, they're pouring everything into these two patients for 12 hours. They kind of know everything about them. Um, and so like you said, there's, there's an aspect to, and I can only imagine that they have to be able to, to, balance a lot because you may have a a child that just had a kidney transplant Mm -hmm. and then the next day you have a trauma car accident and then the following day you may have a brand new baby that just came in for you know meconium aspiration or Mm -hmm. so that would to me surprisingly you didn't say that as one of the challenges like to me that would seem like such a challenge that you have zero Mm -hmm. days old up to 18 and any and all things in between. So kind of talk on that a little bit of just, is that something that also you enjoy that, you know, maybe on Tuesday you have a newborn and then on Thursday you come back in and you have a 16 year old. Is that, is that a challenge? Is that a positive? Tell me about that. Yeah, I think it kind of swings both ways. So I think that that's probably what's kept me in this job the longest is just that every day looks different. Um, so there are days where, 
like you said, you come in and you have two patients and it might be a five-year-old with asthma and then a 16-year-old that was in a car accident. Um, and, you know, then the next day you may come in and still have the 16-year-old from the car accident but have a new baby that's three hours old. So um, that, I think the variety of it helps with sort of the longevity of being able to be there. Um, and just the different types of patients. Um, but that also definitely is a challenge because you have to learn not every patient is going to look the same or even their vital signs are going to be the same. You know, a baby's heart rate can be 180 and that's okay. But if a 16 year old's heart rate was 180, that's not okay. And Mm so, um, just learning how to critically think based on, each patient, what they're there for, their age, and different factors that play into that, um, which is probably another thing going back to what I would tell a new nurse. Um, being in an ICU, you have a lot of autonomy as the nurse to do a lot of the thinking um, and sort of think ahead. I mean, it's like I go home some days from work and I don't realize how mentally exhausted I am just from uh, my brain has not shut off all day of thinking well, why is all of a sudden the blood pressure this or the heart rate this or, um, you know, can that medication cause that or is there something going on internally that we need to look into? Um, So I think that's another thing I would tell a new nurse is just that there is a lot of autonomy in the unit. Um, Our physicians are there. We have residents and fellows and attendings that are there 24-7, but they do rely a lot on the nurses to be the ones to catch the changes just because we're in and out of the room so frequently. Yeah. Yeah. But I do. And the staff is monitoring 20 patients. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So they have all 20. The attendings, resident fellows. Right. So the physicians may have all 20 patients um, where then we just have the two. And Mm -hmm. so um, a lot of times they'll say like, you know, hey, Emily, will you watch for this and let us know when, you know, that Mm -hmm. happens or doesn't happen or whatever. And so then you're responsible for going back and letting them know and noticing changes and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That was one of the parts with force too, that, you know, was in some ways just very eye opening that, you know, when we talk about one of the reasons the force Spence fund was started is because of the fact that back then in the old Lebanon was one huge unit. And so, you know, there was, this brand new baby in bed 20 forest. And then, you know, right by us was a four-year-old who had had a a trauma. And then, you know, two down was a a two-year-old who was having respiratory. And, you know, three down was a 16-year-old who'd been in a car accident. And then you had a, you know, 14-year-old who had had an ATV accident. And it was just this wide variety of who all was in the beds and what all was going on and that the needs, so many of the needs in all honesty are often the same. I mean, parents need support. Caregivers need support. They need to know they're not alone. They need to know that they're loved, but also at the same time you have very different experiences. And so um, that's one of the things that I just really admire in all nurses. I mean, I think anyone that goes into the nursing field is, just amazing and a servant and, um, you know, and obviously the service field um, and obviously even on the general floors, you're going to have wide range of ages and different things besides the NICU and some of the other ones. But you really see it in the ICU 
of just your newborn up to 18 and everything in between. Um, so speaking kind of to that, uh, to a caregiver, if a caregiver is listening, what is something that you would want the caregiver to know about your job and how you could help them if they're in the situation of having a child in the ICU? What are some ways, obviously, you know, the number one is that we want you to take care of our child. We want the nurse to do their job, which the job is to take care of the patient. But as you said, that is other aspects of the nurse's job as well. And so if a caregiver is listening and they currently have a child in the hospital or know of a friend who has a child in the hospital, what is something you would want them to know about your job in regards to the caregiver aspect and how you could help them specifically? So I think um, we kind of say all the time, like, you know, there's one patient that's laying in the hospital bed, but as the nurse in an ICU, you really have sometimes three patients that you're taking care of or 10 patients being the family or the support people that are there with the child. Um, And so I think the biggest thing that I would want caregivers to know is that we care a lot about them also and where they are in this situation. I mean, most of them are in some of the most vulnerable places of their life and um, have never experienced days like like they're experiencing when they're in the hospital. Um, and so just for them to know that we want to be able to support them and care for them on an emotional, um, psychological, physical level, as well as also their patient or their child. Um, I think that you know, we have different ways of being able to support them. Um, and sometimes it is, like you mentioned earlier, you know, where we see a lot of different families and situations, but we can catch on to things that maybe they're not catching on to, whether it's, hey, you've not eaten all day. Please, you know, please go get some fresh air and get something to eat or let's open the curtains and let some light in or, um, you know, why don't you go take a break and visit your other children at home or, or see a friend or something like that. Um, because it's easy for, uh, parents to just want to be at the bedside 24 seven also, but, um, it can make you crazy. I think just to be stuck in that room and listening to beeps and alarms and people coming in and sometimes telling you good things about your child, sometimes telling you bad things about your child. So, um, for us as nurses, you know, it's sort of all encompassing of taking care of, um, the actual patient that's laying in the hospital bed and then also taking care of the families, but just for the families to know that we are there and we have resources and things like that to, to provide them. Yeah. And that's what I was going to touch base on too, is the resources Mm -hmm. that, you know, at least at, at the children's hospitals that we work at, they have so many resources that are available to them, whether it be, child life specialists, social work, chaplains, Mm -hmm. um, a psychologist, um, palliative care, you know, music therapist. There's, there's all different realms, plus the wonderful nonprofits that are in the community that also provide resources. But nurses can know those things and can get the right resources in place 
for the caregivers and the patient as well. And so my encouragement, if you're listening and as a caregiver is, is know that they are a resource to you to also be able to provide the best resource for you. You know, if they can't be the one that provides what it is that you need, hopefully they're going to know who can or who to put in touch with or who to ask to come and meet with them or speak with them. And so I encourage you just to be open with them and to tell them, you know, what's going on, what's going on with you, what's going on with your family back home, what's, you know, and then your concerns as well. If, you know, we talk about it a lot. The caregivers know the patient the best. It's their child. They know them. It's their grandchild, maybe their child, um, you know, perhaps they're the aunt and uncle, but they have custody of the child, but they know the child the best. And so I think also to share with the nurse certain things that bring the child comfort that, um, you know, maybe is something that they've observed, especially with your chronically ill children that, you know, often we call frequent flyers that come often into the hospital. You know, if you have noticed that certain things are triggers for them in the hospital, I encourage the caregivers to make sure that the nurses are aware of that. You know, maybe they really enjoy when a procedure is about to happen that they have lights, that they have something that spins and shows lights or music calms them down or, um, you know, something else that can bring them comfort. You know, I encourage caregivers in a respectful, kind way to share that with the nurse. Um, I know as an old teacher, I always appreciated when parents shared with me things they knew about their child, whether it was they had anxiety before a test or they certain things made them more anxious or things brought them joy or things they were dealing with at home, that was a help to me. And I think the same with nurses, that if there's certain things that, you know, they know can bring them comfort or causes them more stress or more anxiety for them to open up and tell you those things so that y'all can be aware of that and hopefully be able to incorporate that in some way. Not always. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the most important thing that your job is to do is to take care of the patient. But if in some ways that you can you know, incorporate things that bring them joy or don't bring them joy, that that's important for you to know as well. Yeah, it's always really helpful when um, parents, you know, they, as a mom or as a dad or as a grandmother, um, like you said, you know the child the very best. You spend, you've spent years of your life, obviously, as their mother or father. And um, so you know things about them. And maybe it's even little things like their favorite nail polish color is pink and so that's something we can do is paint their nails or um like you said maybe it is before a procedure there's certain things that will have better they'll have better outcomes if they're able to do those things um and so it is really helpful for the caregivers to share those I think sometimes um you know they'll be a little bit hesitant because they don't want it to come across as they know better than the um healthcare staff but I typically tell them, you do, you know this, you know your child way better than any of us do. Mm -hmm. We just met them, you know, whether it be today or yesterday or two weeks ago, mm -hmm. but um, you know them much better. And so letting us in on those things or tricks of what um, provides them comfort the most or what you do at home if they're upset or um, all of those things are very helpful and help us to be able to take care of the the patient a lot easier and um, mm -hmm. better and it I think it provides the caregivers a lot of comfort too when we do ask those things and 
Um, I think it sort of lets them in on that we're not just there to, you know, start IVs and hang medications mm-hmm. and do all of the... Poke and prod all the time. Yes, yeah. all the medical tasks, but also because we truly care about the child and what the best outcome is for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'll never forget the really child life and nursing encouraging me you know, to bring in some things from home that we thought would bring forest comfort, you know, mm-hmm. a lovey, a blanket, socks, hat. And those things brought me so much comfort where if I'd been at home with a healthy child, that would have been normal. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, normal would have been for the child to have a lovey or to be wearing socks or to be wearing clothes or to, you know, have their favorite blanket tucked around them. But in a hospital, especially that first couple days, you know, you just, if you've never been in that setting as a caregiver, you really have no idea. And so, you know, I know when the staff shared with me, you know, you can bring in some of his things from home that will provide him comfort. And these are some of the things that you can do, you know, with the lovey. And that was, that brought me so much comfort. Mm -hmm. And in turn, you know, I watched as Forrest would hold on to that lovey and rub that lovey and grip that lovey and, uh, you know, but just certain things that brought him comfort, you know, mm-hmm. such as humming or singing in his ear as they tried to get his blood gas poking his, his, you know, little foot. Just different things that I found helped him. But often it was because of the encouragement of the nurses that encouraged me to really take a hand in his care and to be a part of, you know, as much as I could. Uh, it was such a joy to me when the nurses taught me how to do oral care with him, and even how to help with bath time. Those were such joy and now such beautiful memories for me because I had such a shortened amount of time with him. And um, and I look back and think that was the nurses. That was mm-hmm. the nurses that not only took such amazing medical care of Forrest, but they did so much more. And y'all are so much more. You are just the backbone. And, um, and I, I know that during this pandemic, it has been so hard and, um, so much harder than I'm sure any brand new nurse ever thought it would be. And so from all of us at the Forest Spence Fund, we are so thankful for you and your staff and your fellow nurses, um, and fellow nurses across the country. Y'all are amazing, and we are so thankful for everything that you do. Uh, Is there anything else that you think our listeners should know about, in particular, pediatric ICU nursing? Um, I think just to touch on sort of what you were just saying, it is so much our role, too, to normalize um, the hospital setting. And so I think that's where we get to sort of collaborate with families and with um, maybe it'd be child life specialists or social workers to make the hospital as abnormal as it is and so different from being at home, but try to make it normal. So whether it's a teenager who, um, you know, doesn't like to wear socks when they sleep, you know, not putting their socks on or um, it's, you know, a, a kid that really likes to play the guitar, finding a guitar to be in there so that they can play it or, um, whatever different things, you know, so much of our role is to normalize their time while they're there. Um, and so I think just sort of to go back and touch on what, what you were saying with that, just how important it is for parents to speak up, um, when they 
see something that they think that we could be doing or ways that we could help and um, help them, help their children just to make things feel as normal as possible. Um, and then I think just sort of touching on um, other things that, you know, I would want people to know is just that um, having a chronically or critically ill child is not what defines them. And I think a lot of times when they're in the hospital, um, it's easy for them to identify as, you know, so-and-so's mom who's sick. Um, and so that's another role that we have is just being able to help them with outlets to, um, to, to do other things so that the, what feels like is defining them in that moment is not that they're the parent of a critically or chronically ill child. Um, but I think that's probably really about it with ICU nursing. Thank you so much for coming in today and sharing with us your heart, your story, and um, just everything that you do to be a great pediatric ICU nurse. Um, we're excited about um, the fact that you have a little one coming. And um, when this actually rolls out, um, that little one should be in your arms. And so we at the Force Fence Fund and David and I personally can't wait to be auntie and uncle to uh, this precious little baby. So thanks for joining us and um, thank you for everything you do. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our latest episode. We hope that this podcast is a resource for you and a source of support. Whether you are facing illness in your own family or want to walk beside other families dealing with childhood illness, we want the stories, wisdom, and knowledge shared to give you hope. Episodes will be released bi-weekly, so be sure to subscribe today.